know, the reality is for my life, uh, and I wouldn't be able to say it in the real time, but my life was actually scripted for me before I even grew up. Uh, I grew up the son of a dad who lived through the Depression, and he was the son of Italian immigrants. And so he worked hard to get to where he was by the time I came into the world, and I was the youngest of his boys, and he had it set how my life was going to be. And so I lived through, uh, in a good way, and I'm grateful for 12 years of parochial school. Uh, And then going to college, my dad and mom applied me to the university I went to. And they even chose my major. I was going to be a business major. I was going to marry an Italian woman. Not just an Italian, a Sicilian, true Italian woman, just like my mama. Uh, And then I was going to go back to work for my father. He had a small company based out of Oakland. That was my life script. But then my freshman year in college, God intervened and handed me a new script. I came to Christ on a Halloween night at a fraternity party, and nothing was going to be the same in my life. Jesus had a new script for me. So fast forward a year after that time, uh, a year and a half, it's the summer of 1984, and I'm on a mission trip on the East Coast uh, in the Jersey Shore. I'm with 70 other college students from all over the United States with a ministry called, it's called Crew now, but it was called Campus Crusade for Christ at the time. And we're, you know, working and and sharing our faith in a small uh, beach town where a lot of people from Philly would come down for the summer. And Bill White, he was a junior at the University of Miami, uh, he took me aside one day, he was on the project, and he said, hey, what are you going to do with your life? I said, oh, man, I got it made. I'm going to go into business. I'm going to take over my dad's business. I'm going to be the chicken king of the Bay Area. My dad had a poultry company. He said, you know what? I'd have you consider something. I see some gifts in you that are rare and acute and strong. I'd have you ever, he goes, have you ever prayed about serving Christ vocationally? I said, no, I never have. He goes, why don't you consider it? That night, I walked the beach of Wildwood, New Jersey. I'll remember it like it was yesterday. And I said, God, did you speak through Bill White? Do you really want me to do something different? I started dreaming. I couldn't believe I could be paid to have a quiet time. (laughs) Fast forward two years. It's 1986, another summer. This time, I'm overseas. Before the uh, curtain fell, if you will, and I'm, in, I'm behind it in what was then one country called Yugoslavia. I'm on the Adriatic, like just 20 miles north of the border of Albania. And I'm sitting there looking, tar- uh, targeting, forgive the term, targeting college students from Yugoslavia. And this man comes up, we start a, relation, uh, a talk, a dialogue, and he, I say, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm a reporter. I go, really, what do you report? He goes, I report truth. I go, oh, do I have some truth for you? <laughs> so we had had Bibles uh, made in their language, and I pulled out a Bible. I, I ignorantly, completely ignorantly, gave it to him, and I said, open up to the book of John. And, and I just was looking out of the beautiful Adriatic. I looked back at him, and Marco was just looking at this book. And he said, what's this? I said, it's a Bible. Then he said, what's a Bible? I said, come on, it's the story of Jesus. And he said... Who's Jesus? And in 1987, that summer on that beach, I was the first human being to tell that man that God came to earth in the, in the person of Jesus Christ and introduced him to Jesus Christ. And we spent weeks together sharing and growing and what have you. 
But I got to tell you, like a week later, I had a nightmare. And I woke up in the morning and I said, God, did you just speak through my dream? And I wrote in my journal. I could pull it out and show it to you today. God, what else would I do with my life as long as there's Marcos in the world who've never heard your name? Fast forward now. It's February. I graduated from college. And I followed my life script, not my God script, my life script, to become the chicken king of the Bay Area. I'm working for my dad, and and, uh, my dad was actually bummed. I took a week off between graduation and work, and he thought I was lazy. (laughs) That's what happens when you live through the Depression. I'm in Dallas visiting a friend, and we walk into a church. And as we're walking into this church on an Easter morning, uh, this verse is over the, the entryway to the church. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And here's what the next line said, and it just stopped me in my tracks. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience, another version says unlimited, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And it just stopped me. And I turned to my friend and I said, you, you got to go on. I, I just got to sit down in this foyer and just sit. And it was like God saying to me, Gary, quit running. I have a script for you that's different than your father's. Which father are you going to obey? I came home from that trip to Dallas, and that Monday morning, my dad had this big office uh, up on the second story of where we worked, and I went into his office and said, i, I got to talk to you. He said, what's up? And I said, um... God's been speaking to me. I can't deny it anymore. I, I need to resign. He said, what? I said, yeah, I, I, I need to resign. I need to follow Christ vocationally. I love you, but I love God more than you. And he didn't have a category that time uh, for this. And so his line to me was this. He goes, look, if you don't want to work here, that's, that's one thing that's, between, that's for you to do, but but don't stand behind God and say God's speaking to you. Be man enough to resign on your own. It was hard. He was grieving. It was a death to him. But ultimately it led to his life because years later, actually at a chapel before a UCLA game, when they were playing Cal, I went to be a chaplain for the UCLA Bruins. Uh, At the chapel, my dad uh, gave his life to Christ. Now, let's just look at my story. Did God really speak through a person named Bill White, who's a junior at the University of Miami on a Wildwood, New Jersey beach, to me? And did heaven intercept the dream of a a college junior on the Adriatic coast just north of Albania and plant a nightmare in my sleep state, directly, uniquely, personally speaking to me? And did God direct me to a church and use his word uh, overlooking a sanctuary to say to me through his word, this is for you, Gary. Does God speak like that today? Is it true that God intercepts? Does God speak personally to human beings today? 
I believe with all my heart he does. And that's what we're going to talk about in this time together. And you need to know, these promptings, these whispers, these nudges, these factors, this, everyone track with me, this is what differentiates Christianity from every other faith system on the planet. No other faith system, Islam, and I'm not saying anything about this in a despairing way, I'm just stating the facts. Islam, Confucianism, Hinduism, no other faith system displays a God who directly, personally, ongoingly speaks to human beings and has a dialogue with them. It's what sets us apart as followers of Christ. Does God speak to you? Have you come to understand that prayer is so much more than giving God your list and saying, okay, thanks God, see you tomorrow, and going on your way? Do you ever think God wants to talk back? How's it going in your life when it comes to hearing from heaven? And how do you know that the voice you hear isn't last night's sushi that you had for dinner? That's what we want to talk about. I actually hope you never lose your message notes today. I can't even get through them all. But I put stuff in there that's so vital to you walking with Christ. And that's the heart of the pastoral staff on this team, that you fully be formed in Christ. And so we're going to actually get only through the first point of this. And then you have point, uh, page 2, page 3, and page 4 to take with you and go through on your own. Let's jump in. We serve a God who speaks. Uh, it was prayed, Tabitha, I think, said it, in John chapter 10, verse 27. It'll come on the screen. Uh, it says this. I actually took the original language of the passage. It was written uh, in Greek, Koine Greek, a dead Greek language. I transliterated for you so you understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was speaking in the hearing of his disciples, and he said, My sheep, that's you and me, his followers, my sheep continually hear my voice. Not just once. It's not just random. It's not the, listen, it's not the exception. This is the norm. My sheep will continually hear my voice. I know them. The word know there isn't about knowing facts. It's a deep, intimate, true knowledge. No one knows you better than God, than Jesus. I know them, and they continually follow me. Implied in that is they obey what they hear. I continually speak. I continually direct And the distinctive of my sheep is they hear and follow. Now, in Jesus' day, here's how this worked out and how his hearers heard it. For protection purposes, shepherds would pull together their collective sheep. It was like almost the first union ever formed on planet Earth. Shepherds would come together, and they'd come to a pen, and there'd be four, five, six shepherds, 10, 20, 30, 40, hundreds of sheep, and they'd put them in the pen And the shepherds would keep watch all night and say, you take the first two hours, I'll take the next two hours, I'll take the next two hours. And in the morning when they wake up, the shepherds would start yodeling. You can actually go to YouTube and see this in modern day terms. They would yodel as they open the sheep pen and walk away. And the individual sheep of the individual shepherd would follow their respective shepherd to their designed fields. That's the context. That's what their original hearers, they'd be going, of course. We understand sheep, understanding the shepherd's voice. But Jesus said, that's going to be the distinctive characteristic of my followers. Tons of voices will clamor for your attention. Tons of voices will clamor for my attention. Do you know as adults today, we have 360 messages a day through advertising coming at us. 360 
Jesus is my voice, distinctively tuning into my dialect, will be what sets apart my followers. Now the disciples, listening in real time, were taking notes and going, oh, I guess that means we got to hear his voice. I hear his voice. we got to follow him. We'll follow him. But then, everybody, four chapters later, Jesus changed things. He pulled his disciples into an upper room, and he said, i got bad news. I'm going to die. This is the end for us. And I'm sure his disciples must have thought, wait a second. What about that hear your voice sermon? How are we going to hear your voice if you're dead? And Jesus said this. You can read it yourself in John 14. He says, actually, it's to your advantage that I'm going away. What? I don't know about you, honestly. I think walking this planet, having Jesus tangibly by my side would be a great advantage, better than anything. Can you imagine having conflict with a teenager or with with a neighbor or something? If you had Jesus by your side and they put out an accusation, you go, hold it, Jesus, what do I say back? And Jesus goes, say this, thank you. And then you say that. That would be incredible, right? Jesus says there's something better than that. We're living in the advantage. And he, he uses this term, I'm sending a paraclete. Uh, the, the Bible has a hard time translating this one. Um, there's plenty, counselor, advocate, comforter. They don't know how to translate it because here's what it means. Look in the bottom of page one of your notes. Someone who comes alongside you to help you do anything you can't do on your own. Jesus said, I, and that's what Jesus did for his disciples, right? He was around them to help them you know, take loaves and fishes and feed 5,000. He was around them to help them take water and see wine come out of it and a wedding banquet filled. Now we have the paraclete to be inside us, to guide us, to speak to us, to make us be like Christ and live not just naturally but beyond or supernaturally. You have John 14, 16 to 17. Uh, and I would just have you write in your notes John 14, 26 as well. But look what Jesus says in verse 16 to 17 here. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate. Implied, I'm the first advocate. I'm the first come-alongsider. I was your first paraclete. Now I'm leaving. And just like I spoke to you, he will speak to you. Just like I guided you, he will guide you. So men and women, yes, God speaks. Yes, it's not the exception. Yes, it's the rule for the followers of Christ. We can say we heard the voice of God. But how? How does God speak? I mean, honestly, if you're a skeptic and you're so welcome here, if you're not a follower of Christ, you are so welcome here, wouldn't you want, if there was a a God, a sovereign, omniscient God of the universe who knows the beginning from the end, who knows what's going to happen in the year 2030, who knows what's going to happen in your life, who has all knowledge, wouldn't you want him to speak to you and direct your life so it could be maximized? I would too. How does that happen? Page two of your notes. How does God speak? The primary way God speaks. That I said this. Did you hear me? The primary way God speaks is through his word, the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. The primary way God speaks is through his word. No wonder, as followers of Christ, 
by far as being a pastor for, uh, gosh, close to 30 years now, by far the biggest challenge I help men and women overcome is the challenge of getting in the Word of God. If I was the enemy, I would confuse that message too. I would busy the lives of followers of Christ. They don't have time for the Word. I'd make everything possible so they couldn't get time to hear God's primary voice, let alone follow it. I got to tell you, the best advice anyone ever gave me, you whittle it down, the best advice I ever got, sitting under uh, the, the teaching of great men and women, was to take, it just started with this, take 1% of the start of your day, find a place, find a time, get your word, get a pen, get a notebook, and pray the prayer of Samuel in 1 Samuel, you want to write this verse down, 1 Samuel 3.10. I, I, it's so crazy to me that I say you'll want to write this down and you write it down. Like, thank you for trusting me that much. <laughs> you know what 1 Samuel 3.10 says? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. My life has changed, and I wouldn't have the credibility to stand before you if uh, it wasn't for 30 years of that practice. Finding a place, finding a time, opening my Bible, opening my journal, Asking God, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Another guy calls it a chair. Find your chair. Watch this video. Came down to talk to me after a service, and he had just become a Christian. I had, I had baptized him at the church, and so, and uh, he said, I, I just can't make time for a meeting with God. He said, You have no idea what it's like to commute downtown every day and. You live in a different world. I, I, can't, I just can't fit, it, fit that kind of thing into my life. And I remember looking at this young guy, hard-charging young guy, and, and I said, here's my experience. And I'm not, you know, I'm only like 24 years old, so there it is. I said, I've always been able to make time for stuff I value. Just how my life works. If I value something, I'll make time to experience it. If I don't, I won't. And I'm making time for a meeting with God in my life. You do it any way you want. And uh, he wasn't too happy with me that day, I don't think. And I didn't see him for a while. And then afterwards, I saw him many months later. And when he came down to talk to me, he, his countenance was different. He felt different. His conversation was different. And he invited Lynn and me. He and his wife invited Lynn and me to go over to their house for dinner. So we accepted. He lived right in the area. And so we go over to their house... And uh, as we're kind of just having some appetizers beforehand, he takes me over to a rocking chair. And he says, you know how you challenged me to have a meeting with God and to just to make the time. He said, I, I've, I love rocking chairs, so I bought a good one. And you said that maybe if you're going to make this repeatable and enjoyable, you should look at some scene or vista that you enjoy looking at. And he said, I've got a little backyard here, and I love looking over the backyard. So he said, I... I just bought this chair, and I put it at my favorite window where I can overlook the backyard. And he said, I got up a half hour earlier, 15, 20 minutes, half hour earlier each day the last several months. I sit in the chair. I have a cup of coffee. And he goes, I read God's word. I try to make sense of it. I ask him to speak to me by his word. Then I meditate on it, reflect it, apply it to my life. Then he said, I write some thoughts down in a journal and I pray. I pray that I will be more aware of his presence in my life. 
And I said, how's, how's that going for you? And his wife jumped in and said, I'll tell you how it's going for him. He's a changed guy. What happens to him when he sits in that chair has changed him. He's more centered. He's a more gentle and loving man in our marriage and to our children. I was very impressed with this, that he could show me his chair, that he had taken the time, that he had fashioned a meeting with God that he looked forward to. Because he liked the chair, he liked the view, he liked the coffee. He was a morning guy. And he fell into this pattern. Many months later, uh, I had coffee with him one time, and he said, I'm thinking about leaving my job in advertising. He said, it just, it, um, I think I'm done with that. So where'd you get these ideas? And he said, well, in my meetings with God in the chair. That's, he's been putting those thoughts in my mind. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, well, maybe I'll just help you build the church. I said, well, no one's getting paid around here, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, I've done pretty well in advertising. I can hold on for a while. And, and uh, maybe if the church grows, you know, then maybe they can help me and my family in some way. And I said, well, you better go back to that chair and see if God's really in this because I don't want to take responsibility for your life and all this. And he said, okay, I will. And came back about a month later and he said, you know, I gave notice at, at work. And if it's all the same to you, I'm just going to help you start building the church. You pay me what you can, but it's not a concern of mine. And this guy joined our staff. And I'm telling you, he was a hardworking, energized, joyful, uh, industrious individual that really, really helped our church. And was on our staff for many, many years. One of the best staff members in the early days of the church. Then one day he comes into my office and he said, you know, I, I still do that meeting with God in that chair, that rocking chair. And he said, God's been stirring in my life, in my meetings with God. And he said, a friend of mine's starting a brand new church in Colorado. And I think I'm going to pack my family up and move to Colorado. I said, can they support you? He said, no, I'm going to have to go back into the marketplace and make some money because they, they can't afford anything. And uh, I said, you, are you ready to do that? And he said, you know, every morning I talk to God about it. And he said, I'm really fired up about it. So we said goodbye to him and he packed his family up and he went out and he went back into advertising, made a lot of money and gave most of it to the startup church. And it became a fantastic church. And then in that same chair that he moved out to Colorado, sitting at a window in the morning like he had done for many, many years now, he processed a bad medical report he got from the doctor that cancer had come his way. And he kept working, and he kept supporting that church, and uh, he got sicker and sicker. It was a very fast-spreading kind of cancer. And uh, then he was hospitalized, and one of the great losses he felt when he was in the hospital is that he didn't have his chair. And he died quite soon thereafter, and I did his funeral in Colorado. And I was talking to his widow, his wife, uh, at the funeral reception afterwards. I said, that was something about that chair, wasn't it? She said, his whole life changed in that chair. I said, what are you going to do with the chair? And she said, we are going to pass that chair on to our children and on to our grandchildren in the hopes that someone would sit in it like Tom did. And have their life transformed. 
Simple question, gang. Where's your chair? Where's your chair? This morning, my chair was my Stairmaster. I have one at home, and I actually have a waterproof Bible. No lie, because I sweat like a pig. <laughs> and I have a little station with lights and a fan and the whole thing. And, and um, this morning, I had, my chair was my, in three mornings a week, it's my Stairmaster. This morning, it was Psalm 19, Psalm 143, and I got out, and if I had more time, I'd, I'd actually share with you what I journaled, how God spoke to me. Tomorrow morning, for two days a week, it's a traditional chair in the front of, uh, front of our house, overlooking our street. But tomorrow morning, it'll be uh, the start in the front of the chair, and then I'll take a verse on a 3 by 5 card, and I'll go run uh, into Sequoia High School. We live near there, and I'll let the track of Sequoia and the field of Sequoia and the bleachers of Sequoia guide my prayers. Sometimes my chair is uh, Edgewood Park. I'll go in there really early or really late in the day when I have it all to myself, and I'll let the terrain of the park guide me in prayer. I'll worship going downhill. I'll pray through challenges going uphill. I'll pray for my wife towards a tree and then each daughter at another tree, and I'll pray for some of you in our church. I'll have a vista where I'll overlook the city and pray for the city. My chair is Edgewood Park. Isn't that awesome of God? Where's your chair? If you're not in the habit of that, can I encourage you, even challenge you? Challenge is actually in the word encourage, so I want to challenge you lovingly. If you're not in the habit, 1% of your day, 1%, and for the next 90 days, for the rest of 2016, you make a commitment, 14 minutes, 40 seconds, that's 1%. Get up earlier, grab your Bible, grab a notebook, Grab a pen, and Brian will guide you if you don't know where to start. He'll, we have stuff for you. And pray the prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And you see if things won't be different in the next 90 days. It, I, I just know how it's going to be for you. It's going to be so rich, you're going to take him through the day. And when you're in a doctor's office and get a diagnosis or in a boss's office and get railed because you do or in that sales call and you're getting railed because that's what happens in the sales call, you can say, Holy Spirit, advocate, paraclete, what are you saying to me in this? So I want you to know God speaks primarily through his word. But now I want you to repeat something. I'll say the whole line. We're going to take it phrase by phrase as we wrap this sermon up. God speaks. Here's the phrase. Don't repeat anything. Just soak this in. God speaks primarily through his word. God speaks outside his word, but God never speaks contrary to his word. You want to take that line by line. You ready? You repeat after me. I'll say it, you say it. God speaks primarily through his word. God speaks, primarily through his word. God speaks outside his word. God speaks outside. But God never speaks contrary to his word. No, never to his word. So if you see on the end of page two, the other aspects, how God speaks. God speaks through creation. Uh, both natural creation, that's, that was my chair for the last week of August. Right there, I took that picture. Early in the morning at sunrise on the Oregon coast, that was my chair. 
there was times when I was before the greatest created art in the world, literally in Italy. And I just sat there and it soaked in and, and I, I heard God's voice through creation. God speaks through people. Like Bill White, when I was a sophomore in college, God speaks through dreams and visions, not just nightmares, but directed dreams. I probably had five God dreams. I actually had a vivid dream about being the lead pastor of this church long before it happened. A direct, vivid dream. God speaks through circumstances. Here's the deal. God speaks. How do you know it's God and not the sushi you had the night before? That's what page three is all about. Guardrails, filters for you to put on that voice and to test it and see if it was really confirm it from God. So as we close, I just want to put out some challenges there. Here's the first. Ask God to speak to you. If you don't know about this, ask God. He's a good, good father. He won't condemn you. He won't belittle you. God wants to meet with you. God wants to speak with you. Ask him. And then I challenge you. I double dog challenge you. 1%, if you're not in the habit, pick a place, pick a chair, grab your Bible. If you don't know where to start, Brian's going to deal with that before you leave here. And for the next 90 days, pray the prayer of Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Then for some of you, I just want to give voice to this, and then I'm going to pray. As I've been speaking... <laughs> I know, because I've been in two services already. It's been crazy. As I've been speaking, God's been speaking to some of you. You know it. And today you're going, okay, that is the voice of God. I've got to follow it. Some of you, you're saying, God, best I know, has been asking me to forgive somebody. Best I know, God's asking me to serve in some area. Best I know, God's asking me to stop doing something that's betraying the character of Jesus. Best I know, God's asking me to start something new. And it scares me, but it would be life-giving for me. I want to affirm that as the voice of God. And I want to say, you just obey it. Put a stake in the ground and go, that is the voice of God. His sheep follow his voice. I'm going to follow in obedience. Don't leave without having a yes, Lord, obedient heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your voice. I thank you that you have not orphaned us. I thank you that we don't follow some angry um, God who's not intimate with us, who just wants to punish us. But we serve a good, good Father who longs to meet with us, not just for 14 minutes and 40 seconds in the morning, but throughout our life, who goes alongside us as a paraclete, helping us do things we can never do on our own. Turn up the volume. Help us to slow down, to truly repent as your followers and slow down. God, there's never been a time more needed for your followers to follow you than in this time where we just are serving in communities and a nation divided politically and ethnically, racially. When the spirit of the age of hate is prevailing, the time is now for the church to rise up humbly, graciously, empowered by you, servant-hearted, and bring your kingdom. Can't do that without hearing your voice. So may it be. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said, Amen.
been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.